You know, in so many ways, Rachel's story is the story of so many of us. We want to say, Houston, we have a problem, right? We have some things going on. As you live at what seems like it's the end of a, an empire, the end of the Roman Empire as it's kind of circling down and morality and everything seems to be going by the wayside, we're all going to deal with a lot of stuff in our families, in our lives, and Rachel is, is so real about it, and that's what I love about her. I was talking to a friend of mine just a few minutes ago that's been coming for the last several months to Community of Faith, and she said, I always faked it. I always came to church, and I thought, church, you had to act like you had like this plastic smile, and everything's good, and, and she said, I'm really struggling, and I'm so glad that I can share that here, and that's, that's what Community of Faith is all about, because all of us are dealing with stuff, and a lot of us here this morning, we've really, we, we've lost heart, and that's what this passage is going to talk about today, how we see life change happen. Some of us, we're, we're despairing that it will ever happen, either for us or for someone that we love. So I want you to pull out your sermon notes, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're looking at it out of the Passion Translation, which is one of the newer translations that's really uh, very accurate from the Greek to the English, but it really helps us kind of get a, a feel for it. If you've read this in other translations, this will open your eyes, I think, to, to even more what God's saying. Paul here begins by saying this in verse 9, and you can see it right there up on the screen. My passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery. It was hidden for ages past until now and kept a secret in the heart of God, the creator of all. What Paul is saying is that God, down through these ages, even as his perfect creation began to unravel because of our disobedience and sin, war, famine, rape, prejudice, murder, division, all of these things that came about because we stepped away, we fell, the Bible says, God had this secret in his heart and he had something planned and then it says that he did it, verse 10. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. That's such an interesting verse. What, what does this mean? It, it's one of those instances in scripture where we realize suddenly that we don't really have a clue about how the universe is actually put together. You see, people ask all the time, are we alone in the universe is mankind alone in the universe and of course you can say unequivocally no I don't know if there's life on other planets but I do know that there is a spiritual realm and there are angels and there are demons and there are all of these beings that exist in the same moment that we're right here just in another dimension in fact they're moving around this place even now as we speak I've asked that angels would guard you and cover you as you're in this building, that cover your kids. God says this is just the way it is. You know, we start to realize 
I think I know how the universe works because that's how our little world works. And then all of a sudden God will pull back the curtain just a little bit. And you go like, wow, I don't even, I don't have a clue. There's so much more to this that, than, than meets the eye. And it says that the angels we find from other passages in the Bible, they're watching us. And they're learning something from us. What are they learning? It says they're learning the full and diverse wisdom from God that he has that he's doing through the church. He's watching. They're watching church. Now, church is not this building. So they're not sitting watching the building. They're watching you. You are the church. And, and that word in the original language for full and diverse, it's literally many colored. The many colored wisdom of God in us. Why would Paul use this poetic word, this word that's never hardly used, many colored wisdom? Why would he, he say that? Because I think it's because life consists of colors. Have you ever had a blue Monday? You know, it's just like, oh, I just, I'm just out. You know, it's a blue Monday. Have you ever felt the, the, the red color of passion or anger? What about green envy? You know, and then there's those dark, somber days. They're just gray, and they're difficult, and they're hard, and we don't understand. And sometimes they seem like they're going on and on forever. Or maybe, again, it's the, the green feel of growth in a good way. We have all of these things. Now, these profound, gigantic concepts that Paul is, is showing here kind of pull back and give us a glimpse. What's he doing? Because, see, a lot of times I'm thinking about us, where we live in the here and now. That's what we talk about at Community of Faith all the time. And, you know, it's interesting that there are angels, that there are demons, that there are all of these row upon row, it sounds like, almost just watching us, learning from us, speaking into our lives in some ways, even from the spiritual realm. But what does that have to do with us as we struggle, like Rachel was talking about, with a father who's an alcoholic or struggle stuck in a, a sex addiction or struggle in our marriages and, and, and struggle in our parenting and with that child that seems like it's just so hell-bent on destruction? Where, where is this scripture going? With this, I think that God's trying to tell us something here. He's trying to tell us that we need to raise our understanding of what the church is. You see, in, in a lot of people in America today, the, the church is really peripheral. In fact, even to those of us who call us ourselves believers, it's like, you know, church is a good thing. If it helps you, you should go. In America, it would be not even in the top 50 things. It would be like the G20 summit and what's the stock market doing today? And, and, and you know, what, is the, what are our world leaders deciding? What, what's going on in all these different areas? And the church, they don't even think about that. But the Bible says that Jesus said, I will build my church. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus gave his life for the church. Now, the church, again, it's not an institution it's a group of people. That word church means called out ones. Those of us who have stepped into this believing. And so this passage is trying to say that what Jesus did, the whole point of all of this, even from ages past, was for us to be here right now. Why? 
Well, the life change in this place is nothing less than miraculous. What Rachel's life, which happened to her, is happening over and over and over. And, and some of you, it's, it's happened to you. Some of you, it's getting ready to happen to you. The angels are watching us do life together. And as we slowly begin to let go of anxiety, as we slowly begin to trust in the heart of a, a heavenly father as we slowly begin to learn how to walk with him through all of those dark and difficult days of life they're learning that God's love is adequate that God can take even someone that deserves his wrath the Bible says and through making this substitutionary death on a cross he can bring us into relationship with him and pour out and lavish his love on us. He goes on in verse 11. This perfectly wise plan was destined from eternal ages and fulfilled completely in our Lord Jesus Christ so that now we have boldness through him and free access as kings before the Father because of our complete confidence in Christ's faithfulness. Simply this, in our weakness, in our frailty, God came. And it begins with him. Every other religion is us trying to get over our frailty and work our way to God. And God knew that was never going to happen. We would never get close. We talked about that a few weeks ago. In our frailty, in our sin, he came. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. And, and, and so... He's opened a pathway as we step in with all that we are into this relationship with Christ. He's opened up access to the Father. And we can come as children of the King, as princes and princesses. And uh, we can come and, and, and say, Father, this is what I'm asking for. Especially as it concerns implementing his will. You see, God has this plan that the church would implement his will on our planet that we would implement his will on earth as it is in heaven that you would see that happen in your life and I think we've lost the sense of the boldness of what that looked like Martin Luther the great church reformer he understood the boldness that we could come to God with he had a friend named Friedrich Myconius and in 1540 Myconius got really sick and he was dying and he had helped Luther uh, so much in his reformation of, of the church as the church had gotten so far outside of what God wanted it to be. And as Luther was trying to bring it back. And on his deathbed, he wrote a tender farewell message to Luther. And listen, when Luther read the message, here's the reply he sent. I command you in the name of God, Myconius, to live. Because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying. This is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. That's a pretty powerful prayer. That's kind of audacious. But you know, Myconius had already lost the ability to speak. He was in his last hours, and in that moment, he turned around. And he outlived Luther by several months. He died six years later after Luther had passed away. 
So we see this power that we have to implement God's will, especially when it concerns his kingdom on this planet. And then Paul goes on. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. The Christians in Ephesus, as he's writing this letter to them, were in danger of losing heart. Why? Because the suffering was intense, and they they couldn't understand it. When an athlete is in an endurance contest of some kind, he presses on and on and breaks through barrier after barrier. Maybe it's the marathon or whatever. He hits the wall, but he keeps going. And we say, what an amazing heart. What a great heart he's got. But when you lose heart, you lose stamina. You lose morale. You come to the place where you say, like Rachel did in the video, what's the point? What's the point? I, I don't see the point anymore. Why, why go on? What's the use? I can't make it. And you give up. And you know, I think, like Paul says, even more than our own trials, sometimes it's the trials of someone that we care greatly about, a son or a daughter, that causes us to lose heart. I've seen that so often with parents when their kids are struggling and they start to question God and they begin to lose heart. And Paul is saying it's because we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand what God is doing and and how it's bigger than what We can comprehend. We're at the center of God's eternal purpose. And the greatness of the cause is worth the hardship of the suffering. So how do you keep from losing heart? He said, don't lose heart. It's really tough right now, I know. Your feelings are valid. I'm not going to invalidate your feelings. What you're going through is really horrendous. How do you live in it and not lose heart? People say, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. Did you know that's not in the scripture? That's a good Americanism. God won't give you more. Some of you are shocked right now. I'm going to go find it. I know it's in there. Okay. It's not in there. It talks about how with temptation, he'll give us a way of escape so that we can endure it. But that's not the same thing. Paul talks about being pressed, being just... To the point that he couldn't take it. That he couldn't handle it. That it was the point of death. And he had to depend completely on God. And, and, and God does that. But So what does Paul do for these people that are losing heart? He says, I pray. And he prays a specific prayer. And that's what I want you to notice this morning. This prayer that he's going to pray. He says, I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. The perfect father of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. He said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to underline this prayer. Circle this prayer. Memorize this prayer because this is the power prayer. When you pray this prayer for yourself or for someone else, God begins to move. You know the greatest prayers you can pray are scripture prayers. And this is a prayer that Paul prayed for life change. To bring people back from losing heart. Verse 16, here's what he prayed. Are you ready? This is what I want you to start underlining. I pray that God would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor. Until 
supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. This is the first step to life change, to come back from losing heart, get such a glimpse of God and just seeing him truly for who he is. And this supernatural strength begins to flood your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. What is our innermost being? Now, our outermost being is our body. That's where most of us, we live pretty much in that, don't we? And, 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 you know, we pamper it and take care of it. Some of us, you know, work it out a little bit. Some of us not so much, right? But the Bible says the outer part of us is decaying. Have you? It's not like parts are falling off or something, hopefully, but... You know, it, you can, it's like gravity has got you, right? I mean, guys used to be up here. Now it's like here. I don't know what happened, you know? And, and, and so it's decaying. And then there's the soulish part of us. That's mind, will, and emotions. But even that begins to decay. Have you figured that out? You know, it's like, I know your name. I, uh, oh, yeah, Laura. No, you know, it's not... It, it, you start to lose some things like that. So it's even deeper than that because that still decays. The Bible says that innermost part of us is renewed as we allow God to do it. It gets stronger. He's talking about our spirit. You know, it's the most fundamental part of us. Psychologists would call it our subconscious probably, but it's deep, deep down inside of us. When you're really discouraged, brokenhearted, and you've given up, what do we say about someone like that? They've just, they're dispirited. And that's pretty accurate. They're dispirited. The, the spirit part of us. But there's the thing about the, the spirit. Change is going to begin there, the Bible says. This deep change. As we pray this, something's going to begin in the deepest part of us. He's going to, the, the Father's going to give us a fresh infusion of strength by his spirit into our spirit. But I need you to understand, this is not in the realm of feeling. Feeling is in the soul. The spirit is not about feeling. And so you're not even going to feel this yet. You're not going to feel it. But God's going to begin to do it. I prayed this for you this morning, this prayer. For every single one of you sitting in this place, for your children over where they are. And God has begun to do it. But you don't feel it yet. You don't feel it yet and and we're hung up on this because we seek relief you know if I can just feel it God, can you just give me a pill that's all I, I mean do something right and I think there's a place for medicine in the struggles that we have especially when it's an organic cause but let me just tell you something God's going to do something so much deeper in you it starts down at the spirit level and what's amazing about that the beginning of this change is not your responsibility Man, that should take a huge, because some of you are going, I just can't do it. I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. Well, I know God's not going to give me more than I can bear. He already has. You can't bear this. That's not in the Bible. This is more than you can bear. He needs to bring life change to you in this moment. And he's beginning to do it. It starts with him. Through this prayer that you pray for yourself or that someone prays for you, he begins to flood your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then the second step. Then by constantly using your faith. Here comes your part. You see, it, it, it's all from God, but now here's your part as you respond to God. 
By constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. That's an interesting Greek word, deep inside. Katoikeo, which comes from two smaller words, kata and oikos. Kata means down, oikos means home. It's like Jesus is going to be down home in your heart. It's so interesting to me because Judas, the, the one who betrayed him in, in, in the Gospels, he said to Jesus on the, the night before he was crucified, he said, you were going to show yourself to the whole world, I thought. What, what happened? I, I don't understand. Now you're, you're going to die? What are you talking about? And Jesus answered him and said this. It almost sounds like he's changing the subject, but he's not. He says, if someone loves me, they will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. God himself making his home in us. That's what Paul is referring to. And the faith is, God, I don't feel it, but you're in me. I've stepped into this relationship with you and I recognize that you live in me and that even in this moment in my non-feeling moment that you already began to infuse me I believe your word I believe it I don't feel it but I believe it then by constantly using your faith the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life finally there's a feeling love See, in order for us to really make it in life, to keep from losing heart in the tough times, we have to have some roots. Otherwise, when the winds of trial blow, we're just blown over because we have no deep roots. What's that deep root that keeps us grounded? What is it? It's understanding the Father's heart, that he loves you, little girl, that he loves you, little son of his, with all that he is. Even when you say, I don't understand what you're doing. Well, of course you don't understand. You don't even know how the universe works. You don't even have any clue of some of the grand plans of his, of the character that he's building in you so that you can rule and reign with him forever, Scripture tells us. Of course we don't get it. But in the midst of not getting it, Instead of shaking our fist at God and say, I hate you, you must hate me, I don't understand. And we go back to people that have let us down. God says, I'll never let you down, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And he's saying, you need to be rooted in that. That's where your faith is. Don't forget, believe it, whether you feel it or not. I love you with all my heart and my plans for you are good. Love always gives us that, that root that strength verse 18 then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences literally it says then you will be empowered to discover along with every other holy one who are the holy ones that's us say that's not me i'm not the holy one that's for sure i I mean I, i you know that's No, the Bible says that when Christ died and we stepped into that and we received that gift, that substitutionary gift, he took our place, that God made us holy deep on the inside. That's another thing that you experience by faith. I don't feel holy. I fell on my face just yesterday, just say, God, I'm sorry for that. I 
Thank you that you made me holy on the inside. I keep wanting to line up my outside with my inside. And keep moving in that direction and watch what God does. Watch him. But we experience with every other holy one the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. So we're to do this together, church. It says confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. I think that confess your sins, we do that at, at, at Community Faith. We don't say, hey, anybody who wants to stand up and tell me what you did really bad yesterday? Because you're a Georgia fan, you know? And Yeah, yeah. And you called God's name out several times at the end of that game, right? Or you're a Texas fan. Now, here's the thing. That's counseling. We confess our faults. We confess our sins. In a counseling experience we have here at Community of Faith with someone that you can trust, that cares deeply about you in a therapeutic relationship, you just spill your guts. That's what it says. You don't have to hide. You can do it with a friend. In fact, did you know that if you can find a trusted friend, they find it's 90% as effective as counseling? That kind of blows a lot of people's pride as a counselor away, but, but we do that together. We share together. We reach out to each other. We bear each other's burdens, all those things, the Bible says, and we see that astonishing love of Christ in, in, in all its dimensions. That's why I've been trying to encourage you don't be alone here. Don't just come and sit and say, well, that's great. And I got a shot of community of faith. You know, now I can. I want you to grow together. I want you to be a part. If you're struggling and you don't sign up for counseling, you're missing out. If you don't get in a small group, you're missing out. If you don't serve together with other people, because we're all struggling together. You say, well, when I get to be perfect, I'm going to serve. You're never going to serve. The next step, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. That's the fifth step. Think of it. To know the unknowable. You, you begin to know the love of Christ. You begin to feel it. Your feelings come on full throttle. I feel it. I know it. Some of you are there. Not many of us. And it's funny because in our human condition, it ebbs and flows. It's not about how spiritual you are. See, some of us think, if I just felt God all the time, that would be the most spiritual. Sometimes God allows us not to feel him at all. One of the great writers of old wrote a devotional that I love, Oswald Chambers. He, he said the only time that we as his little children have to make God smile is when we can't see his face and we don't understand what's going on. Because when we feel good, it's easy. But when you don't know... It's hard. I don't understand, but I still trust you. God goes, that's my boy right there. He's rooted in love. He's using his faith. And we're never going to understand. A baby doesn't understand his mother's love. He just senses how deeply she loves him. And when he's hurting and crying and screaming out with those little tummy aches and things that a baby gets, he only wants his mama. Dad, forget it. It's not going to work, probably, you know. He wants mama. He senses. He knows. And that's how we're to be with God, overwhelmed with this sense of love. Not understanding that extravagant love pours into you 
until you are filled with, to overflowing with the fullness of God. And that is our purpose. If we're anything less than filled to overflowing with the fullness of God, believer, then we're not accomplishing our purpose. This is what God made humanity for, to be containers of his fullness. To be flooded with God himself. And we shouldn't water it down. When you're filled with something, it means you're dominated by something. When I say you're filled with rage, that means you're dominated by rage. You're filled with lust, you're dominated by lust. When you say you're filled with God, you're dominated by God. That's why Martin Luther could pray a prayer like that. He was dominated by God. All he wanted was what God wanted. All he wanted was God's interest to bring his kingdom to bear. It's an amazing thought to be filled with up with the fullness of God. Your love, Lord, come into me and drive out my anger. Your holiness, Lord, enter me and, and drive out my greed, your purity. Enter and drive out my lust, your mercy, come and wash away my envy, your patience, come and, and, and drive away that impatience, your grace, fill me. So I can forgive and let go of that grudge. God wants you to let go of that grudge. I know they hurt you. I'm not minimizing it. But you hold on to that. It's going to eat your life from the inside out. You'll be filled with that grudge. You'll be filled with that. And it's going to eat you up. God says, I want you to be filled with me. It'll drive that out. Verse 20. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you. And accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. Your most unbelievable dream. He will exceed your wildest imagination. I want you to pay close attention to this verse. Because I think this is still in that sense part of this prayer. He's praying. Paul made up a word in Greek that had never been used before. If we transliterate it directly into English, it actually is exceeding abundantly beyond. God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. Think about that. He's able to do beyond all that you ask, all that you could dream. He's able to do abundantly beyond all that you could ask or even dream. But not only that, he's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond. Paul's gone... You can't dream up what God's going to do in life change with you and those that you're praying this prayer for. He'll outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Last verse. Now, we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ. And all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Every time we, church, have come to God and we say, God, we feel like you're leading us to make a difference with the Batwa of Burundi, but we don't have the resources to do that. Countless millions of dollars needs to go into that, and God says, I'll do it, but I can do more. And then we go to Nicaragua and we're working with those little children and we see all that it takes to do that. We don't have that, God, and God goes, I'll do it but I can do more. I can do more than you ever thought. I can do more. God, we want to stop sex trafficking in this hub of sex trafficking right here in our home city. We want to put, we just want to slap it down. 
We want to rescue those little ones. I'll do that, but I want to do more. He just keeps saying, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. Again, we only have one small part. We pray the prayer, and then we use our faith. Going back to verse 17, by constantly using your faith, you just keep, okay, God, I believe, I believe. I'm praying this prayer for me. I'm praying this prayer for my kid. I'm praying this prayer for my wife. I believe you do this. The life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and it will all begin. The resting place of his love will become your very source. You know, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. What he would say in our day, if you have faith the size of an atom, a little atom. We can't see an atom. We can't even see it with the naked eye. But you split that atom and the power from it, astronomical. And we put that faith, that little atom of faith into a great big God. I was reading about the Gulf Stream. That, that stream that flows through the Atlantic Ocean. Did you know if you took all the rivers of all the world, and you think about some of those, like Niagara Falls and all, and the power of all those and the stream of all those, you would have to multiply that by a hundred times to get the power of the, of the Gulf Stream. And yet, sailors on the top of the water, they don't even feel it, but it's moving at that speed underneath them. Did you know that? I think that's like the love of God right now. Some of you are here this morning. You know, I, 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 but I don't feel it. I hear what you're saying, Mark, but I don't feel it. It's not about feeling. It's there. And when you get that root down and you tap into it, things begin to move. 